The uh, Yom Kippur service begins with Kol Nidre, which is, according to most views, a ceremonial nullification of vows that were made during the previous year. The practice is that the Chazan, accompanied by two other people, stands up, they function as a kind of court, kind of Beit Din, and they announce that the vows that we have taken in the previous year, all forms of vows and oaths, etc., are, are nullified. They are nullifying, or one might say forgiving, the vows that we took in the previous year. The actual text of Kol Nidre that many have is a combination of the past tense, which speaks of the vows made during the previous year, and then there's a line in Kol Nidre, Miyom Kippurim Zeh, Ad Yom Kippurim which speaks of vows that are taken during the coming year. So actually the text that we have is a jumbled text. The statement from this year till next reflects a minority view that what Kol Nidre actually is about is not Hatarat Nidarim, but rather what's called the Moda'ah, we are announcing now that the vows we will take during the upcoming year, we are nullifying them from now. So the vows that we take have no standing. The text that we have is mixed the two opinions together. But in any event, the main view is that Kondidre is a kind of Hatarat Nidarim, but I would add a ceremonial one. And the question, of course, is why are we beginning or entering into Yom Kippur with this widespread custom of the recitation of Kol Nidre? The entire idea of Hatarat Nidarim, the idea that if someone takes a vow, that that person has the ability to nullify the vow, is something that seems to run counter to the plain meaning of the Bible. In fact, that's noted by the Mishnah in Masechet Chagigal, which says that Hetan Nedarim porchin ba'aver v'yenu lehem amashi yismochu, they have no basis. And it's not just no basis, but when you look at the, the, the Tanakh, you get the distinct view that fundamentally when you take an oath, a neder, a shvua, either one, that there's virtually no way to get out of it. We have story after story such as the story of Yoshua when the people take an oath to the Givonim, not in fact realizing that they're Canaanites, that they have some kind of a peace treaty with them, and they realize it, but they took an oath. Yiftach seems to fulfill his oath, perhaps foolishly, when he says, whoever comes out of my, the door to greet me after victory, if God grants me victory, I will sacrifice to God, his daughter comes out. It would appear, actually, that he fulfills that, that vow. So there's a little basis to suggest that when somebody takes an oath, vow oath, there's a way to uh, extricate oneself from that utterance. But the rabbinic tradition tells us that there is such a concept of hatarat nidarim. Hatarat nidarim, in effect, if you think about it, because fundamentally an oath, perhaps even a vow, is something that you take in God's name. Whether you actually need God's name or not is a great dispute. 
But the position that you don't need God's name, I assume, is not because God's name is not relevant, but because the very oath itself by its nature presumes God's name. In fact, an oath is stated in the name of God. So then coming afterwards and nullifying something, something in statement that's been uh, imposed upon oneself through the use of God's name is a remarkable idea, but our tradition actually endorses it. So the idea of entering into Yom Kippur with Hatarat Nidarim <coughs> makes a statement that the human being has the power even to overturn what is stated in God's name. The idea then is that we people have the ability to extricate ourselves to overturn perhaps a decree that's been issued against us because of past behavior. Somehow we see ourselves as potentially overturning a negative divine decree. So the court gets the court stands up and the court is reading, in effect, the statement that Kol Nidre Vesare, all these things, are nullified. And then afterwards, the statement of the Kol Nidre service is, V'nisrach uchor adat b'nei Yisrael, v'ragir agar betocham, ki uchor am bishkaga. That statement, it's actually a verse, from the 15th chapter of the book of Bamidbar. And there, what the Torah is discussing is what happens if the congregation sins. The Torah has a discussion of what happens if an individual sins and what happens if the congregation sins. So regarding the, uh, regarding the congregation, it says that if the entire congregation sin, this is found in the 15th chapter of Bamidbar, it says, The Kohen will issue a, uh, will atone for the entire congregation. They shall be forgiven. It shall be forgiven for them. Kishkagahu, for the sin was committed unwittingly. And they brought their sacrifice, and maybe it would karbanam. It shall be forgiven for the entire congregation, for the people have sinned unwittingly. So the, the case is, it says, if the if the people do not fulfill all of the commandments that God gave to Moshe. And the Torah then allows for a sacrifice called a, a par. In the Talmud it's called the par halem davar shal tzibur. The tractate Horiot deals with this question, how is it possible for the whole congregation to sin? And they presume they're following a, a wrong ruling of the high court. But in any event, if the whole congregation sins, it shall be forgiven, v'nislach, because they did it unwittingly, bishkaga. So v'nislach means it's the passive, it shall be forgiven. But on the night of Kol Nidre, 
after the court has annulled the vows, the court says, and there may have a different meaning. Not it shall be forgiven, but we shall forgive. The court stands up and says, we forgive the people because we deem what the people have done to be, to be unwitting. It's not at all clear in the Torah if, in fact, it is unwitting or if, or if we judge it to be unwitting. On the night of Kol Nidre, we could interpret that the court is saying, in fact, we see all that the people have done in the previous year, all the commitments they made, which cannot be kept, they're forgiven for not keeping those commitments because they are unwitting, because they didn't realize at the time they made those commitments of their own weaknesses, their frailties. They weren't aware of possible circumstances. So we forgive. And then the service continues. The Chazan says, quoting a verse, not from chapter 15 of Bamidbar, but chapter 14, the story of the Muraglim, the scouts who brought back a bad report about the land, and God was very angry and threatened to destroy all the people. And Moshe intervenes on behalf of the people. And Moshe recalls the attributes of God's mercy. That simply recalls them. He actually changes them. He doesn't start with Rachum v'chanun. He starts with Erech And God's response to Moshe who says to God, You've borne them from Egypt until now. Forgive the people according to your great mercies. And God said to Moshe, I forgive as you have spoken. So in the Kol Nedre service ends with that dialogue. The dialogue is from the 14th chapter. Moshe said, forgive them according to your great mercies. And God's response is, Salachti Kidvarecha. On Kol Nidre night, the Kidvarecha, according to your statement, seems to be the statement of the court. The court said, Vinislach, we are forgiving. And then we are recalling the 14th chapter, story of the Miraguim. And God says to the court, in effect, as God said to Moshe, Sorachti Kidvarecha. The Kol Nidre service essentially is recalling the attributes that Moshe uh, mentioned in God's presence to God in Moshe's prayer. And God's response, Sorachti Kidvarecha, I forgive as you, as you have spoken. So the point being that on the Kondidre service, the, the court, which is the people, are essentially saying, and the service is saying to us that forgiveness in this, at this point in the service, we are saying whether we are forgiven or not is in our own hands. We can make a difference. We can transform ourselves. We have the ability to do it. That's how we enter into Yom Kippur with the idea that we have the ability to determine our own fate. And if we are truly repentant, God will go along with our decision. It's about the power of the individual to self-transform. And what better example of the power of the individual to overturn God's 
God's decree, or even to overturn something imposed in God's name, then call Nidre, which is Hatarat Nidarim. And there's something else about these attributes, about the Yud Gimel Midot. The Kol Nidre service itself recalls the Yud Gimel Midot, not that are found in the book of Shemot, when we first encounter them in the story of the golden calf. Of course, later throughout Yom Kippur, we recall those Yud Gimel Midot many, many times. Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanun. But the Kol Nidre service recalls the Midot that Moshe mentions in the book of Bamidbar in the story of the Miraguim. That's a story where, of course, the entire congregation has sinned. And Moshe takes the words of God, God's self-description, Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, and V'chanun, and varies them according to the need. Moshe pleads with God to be long-suffering, to be patient, does not plead for a full and total reconciliation, which is not possible in the context of the Miraglim, people who have rejected the land. So Moshe can't plead to allow them to enter the land. But Moshe varies the Yudgimu Midot according to the need of the moment. So the Yudgimu Midot actually become the perfect example of what, what we might call Torah Shebaal Peh and the power of Torah Shebaal Peh. Moshe actually is taking the actual self-description of God, by God, and Moshe varies it according to the need. And this fits in very well with the rabbinic idea of Yom Kippur. In our tradition, Yom Kippur is not just a day of atonement, forgiveness. Yom Kippur, according to Jewish tradition, is the day of receiving the Torah. Not the first time. Not when everybody stood at Sinai and experienced the revelation of Sinai. That revelation of Sinai, by the way, is part of the Rosh Hashanah service. The Shofarot begin with recalling the revelation of Sinai. But Yom Kippur is not about the revelation at Sinai. Yom Kippur is about the second tablets. Moshe goes back up the mountain after God has forgiven the people. After God has revealed to Moshe the attributes of mercy, then Moshe goes up the mountain and brings back the second tablets. But the second tablets are different from the first tablets. The first tablets were given to all of Israel collectively. We all stood at Sinai. We all experienced God. The role of Moshe in that story, essentially, is a messenger. He goes up the mountain. God sends him back down the mountain. He's going to go back up again and receive the tablets. But fundamentally, he's our leader. But the Torah is given directly from God to the people. It's true that after the Ten Commandments, the people were afraid, and they said to Moshe, go back up and tell us what God says. We're afraid. But the second tablets are different. The second tablets, God said to Moshe, you come up here yourself early in the morning. Moshe goes alone. And what the Torah emphasizes, when Moshe comes down the mountain with the second Luchot, the Torah speaks at the end of chapter 34, how Moshe teaches the people. He teaches Aaron, he teaches the others, he teaches the people. So the second tablets are much more about the power of the individual to expound the Torah, to teach the Torah. And that, of course, goes very well with the idea that Yom Kippur is the day, not of Torah Shebikhtav, 
not of simply receiving God's word, but rather Torah Peh, the idea that the individual is a receiver of the Torah and also a transmitter of the Torah, but most importantly, a transformer of the Torah. Tarash Baal speaks to the power of the individual to change one's own fate, to, to be allowed to and encouraged to understand how the Torah speaks to the situation of the moment, to the contemporary situation. And it's very interesting that in the service of the high priest, the Avoda, which begins the main section of the Musaf service on Yom Kippur, the Avoda fundamentally is a recitation, a poetic recitation of the Mishnayot of Tractate Yuma, the tractate that deals with Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah, we are reciting verses from the Tanakh, Torah, Ketuvim, Nevi'im. The service consists of verses, because Rosh Hashanah is a day about God and God's kingship. So we use God's own language to speak of God. But Yom Kippur is the day of human possibility. So the text for the Avoda is not God's word. The text for the Avoda is our word, is the Mishnah, is the collected wisdom of many sages over time. Because on Yom Kippur, it's all about Torah Shabbat It's about the ability of the individual to interpret and to transform. And I would add that what's interesting is that, in particular, there's something else that's emphasized in the Kol Nidre service, and that is The text of Kol Nidre emphasizes that the community, as a community, can achieve forgiveness, even where an individual could not achieve forgiveness, because the Torah speaks about an individual who sins and is punished, but when it speaks about the collective, the community, we describe what they have, their error, as an error, not a willful sin, but it's for that reason, I believe, that we introduce Yom Kippur by the court saying, we permit ourselves to pray with sinners. Sinners presumably means those people perhaps that have been excommunicated from the community. Excommunication is a form of a vow. So we are knowing that vow as well. We're allowing even the sinners, even those that we have distanced from ourselves, to join us because they're also part of the community. On Kol Nidre, we all realize that in a certain sense we're all sinners. We've all made mistakes over the previous year. But the, when we come together collectively, we have a much stronger case. When we come together collectively and stand before God, we make the argument, and the court makes the argument, we ask God to see our mistakes as an error. And in a certain sense, they typically are an error, because if we truly understood the full situation, we probably would not have taken that particular path. And therefore, Hatarat Nadarim becomes emblematic of all the commitments that we have made over the course of time, the broken promises, the fail to live up 
to our own expectations and perhaps the Torah's expectations. So we all join together as a community and we make our argument we should be forgiven. And our court has forgiven us and this places upon us a great burden as we start Yom Kippur. Our fate is in our own hands. It's up to us on Yom Kippur to make those commitments that will allow us to move forward in a positive way.